the spirit of prophecy, this is one of those that I'll take my full hour. Sorry. wish we had an hour and a half on it. When I preached the evangelistic sermon, I used that long. I spent a lot of time on some of the things that she wrote and things like this. Um, okay, let's bow our head for prayer and we'll get right into it. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to study your Bible this afternoon. I ask, Lord, as we study this most important subject, the spirit of prophecy, a prophet in your remnant church, Lord. I know it's difficult for many people when they first hear this, but as we see it from the Bible, Lord, I pray that our hearts will burn within us and will give us a desire and a passion to share it with others. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people, now be honest with me, whenever you have to deal with giving the spirit of prophecy or, or you hear anybody even talking about Ellen White in the church and you have visitors there kind of cringe just a little bit. Be honest, you cringe some? Yeah, because you think, oh no, they're going to think we're a cult. I'm unashamed. You know, you could take Ellen White out of the picture and they would still think you were a cult. <laughs> you ever think about what people have to do when they become Seventh-day Adventists that come from other, um, dare I say, Babylonian backgrounds? I mean, just think about it. Everything they once believed is not true anymore. You take their loved ones out of the grave, out of, out of heaven, you put them back in the grave. You take their enemies out of hell, you put them back in the grave, right? You, you tell them that it's not right that they eat this, then eat that, because the Bible says so, and they thought the Bible said you could eat anything you wanted to eat, you know? They, they thought that, um, that hell burns through the ceaseless ages of eternity, and you told them, no, that's not the case. They actually burn up in the fires of hell. Um, you just go right down the list. Every single night, everything they hear in an evangelistic meeting or in a Bible study you give them, to you, it's like old, old stuff. But, I mean, I came from the outside. I got my theology before I became a Christian. My theology came from watching Tom and Jerry and other cartoons. I mean, that's where, I, you know, I, I, you, you watch Tom and Jerry and you see the things going on there, like the cat kills the mouse. Where does the mouse go? He floats off to mouse heaven, doesn't he? The cat dies in the thing. What happens to him? He goes down to the center of the earth and there's a bulldog down there with a pitchfork making sure he turns and keeps him, cooks him okay. I mean, I had that kind of theology and what was scary was, what was really scary was when I, when I became a, a, a Christian and, and, I, and, and I, only, I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian when I became a Christian, but I realized that most of my other Christian friends believed exactly what I used to believe, and I didn't get my theology from the Bible. I got it from television, from cartoons. That's kind of a, a scary statement to make, but it is true. And so you take, some people think, oh, the spirit of prophecy, that's such a difficult one. If we could just get rid of the whole Ellen White thing, I think we could fill our church up. No, you're still a cult in most people's view. Because you keep the seventh-day Sabbath, they thought Sunday was the right day, right? You don't believe the right thing on the state of the dead or, or, or any of these things. I mean, it's totally against what mainstream stream Christianity teaches. But you can show it from the Bible. And I love that. The, the last evangelistic series I just held, let me tell you a quick little story. You might appreciate this. There was a minister coming there. His name was James Hardy. He was, he was a, a bishop, James Hardy. And, and a little over a, a year ago, before these meetings ever come about, he'd been studying his Bible, and he started realizing that some things wasn't right with what he'd been taught in seminary. The guy had two um, uh, divinity degrees, right, two different ones. And he realized that some of the things he'd been learning in college didn't match the Bible. And he gets his flyer in the mail. He comes to the meetings, and I stand up there and start preaching these truths that he had never even heard before, but he was an honest man. And he's like, well, that's what the Bible says. His church had like a hundred and some people going to it. He goes back to his church and he says, you know what, we're in error. All these things we thought were true aren't true. You know what they did to him? You know, Christians are so loving in those other churches. You've heard that, haven't you? The Adventist church seems to be so stern and those other ones are so harsh. Have you heard those kind of words? Well, those loving Christians, as soon as he said, you know what, I don't think these things are all true. The Bible's not teaching these things. They threw him out and fired him, took all his money away from him. No more paychecks immediately. So, um, but the man made a stand for the Lord. 
And uh, I'm not ashamed of any of the doctrines from, from the, that we teach in the Seventh-day Adventist Church because it's the Word of God. And that's what you're going to find out. With this study, even the spirit of prophecy is very much, I mean, it's the Word of God. Some people think that, oh, we've we got to go outside the Bible and try to prove that Ellen White's a prophet. No, you're going to find out it's right from the Bible. And so let's get right into the study. It's a lot of fun. This is the most fun study we'll do. Studies of Spirit of Prophecy, you abbreviate it this way when you mark it up in your Bible. SP, Spirit of Prophecy. Now, if you want to abbreviate yours differently, you can. Just make sure you don't use the same abbreviation twice. Okay? Don't put H for hell and H for health. Then you'll get really confused. So, that, you'll notice in our studies we use DW, Destruction of the Wicked, and then we use H for health. Okay? And uh, again, if anybody would like to see this, my Bible, after we're done here, I'll let you take a look at it, and you can see one marked all up and how, what it looks like when it's done, and, and you can actually practice going through it to see how simple it is to give a Bible study just from the Bible. You're welcome to do that, but not right now. I need it. Okay, Spirit of Prophecy and the Purpose. Oh, we don't worry about the purpose and center it right now. We'll just go right on through that. Okay, here's your text. Looks like a lot of them, doesn't it? 16? We'll go through them pretty quickly. 16 texts we're going to look at in this study. Now, the idea that 16 texts to show the spirit of prophecy? Are there that many texts in the Bible that can show it? Sure is. And a lot more. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 5. That's going to be the first one. Genesis chapter 5. Let us go there right now. If you're going to mark your Bible up, you would write 1SP somewhere around Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 29. 1SP. And on the bottom of that, you would write Genesis 7-6. That's the next text you're going to be going to. Genesis 7-6. While you're looking that up and doing that... Oh, and by the way, here is what the outlines look like that we use to mark our Bible studies up with that you can print off yourself. Um, I don't have any more than just this one copy. But uh, this, this, if you want to get, when you get these, print them out off the internet or I think that um, if you talk to me, I might be able to get you something on a CD maybe, I don't know. Send me an email and I might be able to email it to you. But uh, it the, has the, everything kind of like brief notes about what you should, you should say when you see the things and, and how to mark your Bible up all the way through the little handouts. So you can get those, and I have mine sitting up here, just as a quick reference. So, Genesis chapter 5, 21 through 29 is going to, where we're going to start at. So let us go there. Are you liking these studies? Would you like to have the whole set? Go back there and see them later on. <laughs> in the back. Get you a set. And by the way, we do something that, that a lot of people don't do. We believe that you can't copyright anything that's God's. You know, like God gives you ideas and gives you means and, and materials to do things. So if you buy a set of the DVDs, and you want to make copies of them and give them to other people, you can. Yep, no copywriting. And so if you feel guilty about doing that, you can send Life a donation to help us out. But you buy the first set, you know, maybe a few of you go in and buy a set, and if you want to make copies, that's perfectly fine, but we just ask that you never sell them. If you sell them and you don't repent, you'll go to hell, because that, that then would be stealing. <laughs> okay? So you can make copies, but just give them away. Right? And help other people learn to study their Bibles. And you'll find, sometimes if you feel... T difficult maybe to give a Bible study take the DVDs into someone's house put it in your put it in a DVD player and play it for them my last evangelistic series we sold six sets of those to non Seventh-day Adventists during the meetings they said I want to be able to share this with other people and they took it home and I've heard all, all kinds of good stories I can't tell you about it right now alright Genesis 5 21 now look what it says in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 21 and Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah Trick question, who's the oldest guy that ever died? Methuselah, who's the oldest guy that ever lived? Enoch. Did you know that Enoch is the oldest guy that ever lived because he never died? And he, so the oldest guy that ever lived was the dad of the oldest guy that ever died, Methuselah. Just a little 
trivia there, okay? So notice what happen, what's happening here. Enoch lived 65 years to begat Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 187 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 782 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. How old was Methuselah when he died? You just read it in the Bible. 969 years. Keep that in mind. He was 969 years when he died. And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son. And they called his name Noah. Isn't that an interesting family tree? You have, you have uh, Enoch. Who, who was translated, Methuselah, the oldest guy that ever died. You have um, uh, Lamech, who, who knows, he was just the dad of Noah. Okay, that's the family tree there of, of Noah. And then it says, And he called his name Noah, saying, The same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because the ground which the Lord had cursed. Now, usually when I start this study, people think, Why in the world do you start it right there? Doesn't that sound like strange? I mean, you just went through a family tree? Well, I want you to notice two things out of that. First of all, we're going to notice the name of Methuselah and what it means. What does Methuselah mean? Oh, before we notice that, I'll do the other one first. I'm sorry. Did you know that Enoch was a prophet? How do you know Enoch was a prophet? The text is on the screen. Look at it. Yeah, Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude, verse 14. So you go to the book of Revelation, back up one book. Jude, verse 14, it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying... Um, I, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints, right? He's prophesying. So if Enoch is prophesying, that would make him a prophet. Did you know that his first son's name was a prophecy? Yeah, he, he's prophesying here in his first son. Look what his name means. Methuselah. Methuselah means, Methu means he dies. Shalak means it comes or judgment comes. It can mean either thing. He, it comes or judgment comes. So Methuselah's name means when he dies, the judgment comes or it comes. So everybody would walk around and they would see Methuselah and they'd say, oh, there's Methuselah. I wonder what's coming. I wonder what's going to happen when he dies. I mean, his name actually meant that. Like, it would be no different than me naming my son, uh, first name, when he dies, his middle name being, it comes. And you all think, that's a strange name for a son. There's nobody else in the Bible named Methuselah. <laughs> you want to know why? Because it's a strange name to name somebody. He dies, it comes. He dies, it comes. Well... Let us find out what significance, significance this has for us. I want you to notice this. The Bible says that we just read in that little section we read that Methuselah was 187 years old when he had Lamech, and Lamech was 182 years old when he had Noah. So when Noah was born, how old was Methuselah? 369 years. How old was Methuselah when Noah was born? 369 years. Now, what, what, what was it that, that Methuselah's name meant? When he dies... It comes. So Methuselah was 369 years old at Noah's birth. You, you follow that? Stay with me. Now, this is one of those studies that you'll have to have, um, until you learn it, you'll have to have some notes. Like these. Now, what I did, I just went in my Bible and right off the side here, I just wrote in there these years, like who, how old he was and things like that, so that I could just state it to the people and we could just get the calculator out and do the math. Now, notice what happens here. Genesis chapter 7, verse 6. Do you know, Noah comes along. In other words, it's, it's like this. Enoch gives a, a prophecy. He says, when my son dies, it comes. At the end of this prophecy, toward the end of that timeline prophecy, Noah starts preaching a message something like this. Hey, y'all, grandpa's going to die soon. Yep, papa's getting ready to die. You better get ready. Because his name meant when he dies, it comes, or judgment comes. Okay? Noah's preaching that his grandfather's going to die soon. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say that. 
that's not what I'm, I'm getting at there. What, what I, the simple point I'm making is the Bible says that when he dies, it will come, and Noah comes along preaching that the end is coming soon. He says, hey, a flood's coming. There's going to be a great flood. Everybody's going to be destroyed. You better get on the boat. Do you remember that story? Right? You know that story pretty well? Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 6. Noah was how old? 600 years old when the floodwaters were upon the earth. How old was Noah when the flood was on, on the earth? 600 years old. Now, notice something here. Notice that Noah, at his birth, Methuselah was 369 years old. Let us put it on the screen to help you out here. Noah was 300, or Methuselah was 369 at Noah's birth. Noah was 600 years of the flood. How old was Methuselah according to Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 5 and verse uh, 27? How old was Methuselah when, when Noah was born? 369. Now look at here. You take 369, you add 600. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, and you get 969. How old was Methuselah when he died? 969 years. Isn't it interesting that Enoch gives a timeline prophecy in prophesying with his son. He says, hey, when he dies, the flood's going to come. And isn't it more interesting, I think it shows you something here. Did God really want to destroy the antediluvians? No, he didn't. You want to know how you know he didn't? Because God said that when Methuselah dies, the judgment would come, and he shows that God's mercy and long-suffering with his people, he let Methuselah live longer than anybody else. He put it off as long as he could. He tried to get everybody he could to get onto the ark, kind of like today. God is, people think, oh, it's such a delay. The Lord's never going to come. It's taking forever and ever and ever. And, and it's like, why do we have to wait so long? It's because he loves you. I like to bring this out in this study. It seems like it's a long delay. It's because, just like it was in the antediluvian time, Methuselah lived older than anybody else because God was putting it off. The Bible says that when he dies, it comes. And before he died, now check it out. God gave a timeline prophecy, right? He dies. It's going to come. Before he dies, God didn't say, okay, Methuselah's going to die soon. Y'all going to die. Sorry about your luck. I'm sorry. You know, he's going to die and you're all going to die with him. You know, God didn't do that. What did God do instead? He sent a prophet at the end of that timeline prophecy to warn the world, hey, you know what? You need to get ready. Things are going to happen. So look, let's look at it here. We'll put it up on the screen and help you out a little bit. You had Enoch gives a timeline prophecy. At the end of the timeline prophecy, God raised up another prophet to let him know that the timeline was coming to an end. Do you got that? You're going to find out that this is a biblical pattern through the whole Bible. This is a biblical pattern throughout. You have a prophet, a timeline prophecy, and then you have another prophet at the end of that timeline prophecy announcing, writing about, pointing to that prophecy coming to an end. Clear? All right, that's how it's going to begin. So we went Enoch, timeline prophecy, Noah. Now we're going to look at the next one. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13 and 14. Genesis chapter 15. Oh, let me ask you. <laughs> this is like the best part of this. If Google was around in the days of Noah, what do you think Google would say about Noah? You know who Google is, right? Google's that guy that knows everything on the internet. You type in a search and he can tell you where to go to. Now Google's not really a person, it's a search engine. But what would the internet be saying about Noah in the days of Noah? What do you think it'd be saying? If we had a computer system and internet and everything, what do you think would be on the internet about Noah in his day? The man's a nut. I mean, he's, he's certifiably just a lunatic. Let's, don't listen to him. He's in some kind of fringe cult group. He's a minority. The majority of the people aren't listening to what he's got to say, so he can't be right. Don't you think it'd be something like that? Come on now, Seventh-day Adventist. You minority group, that's some kind of crazy message that's against everybody else. You can't be right. Now, by this point in a Bible study, by the way, 
when you're at the spirit of prophecy at this far along, you've already covered a 2300 day prophecy. You've already covered a lot of things, okay? We, well, I jumped way ahead for you guys on this study. So you're already, the people already know you're a Seventh-day Adventist. And I just bring this out very clearly as I can, that if, if in Noah's day, the internet, if you would have done a search on Google about Noah, they would have wrote him off. He would have been the farthest fringe lunatic that you could have found. You understand that, right? Okay, now we're going to go to another guy. Genesis 15, 13, and 14. We're going to look at a guy by the name of Abram before his name became Abraham. You know that was his name before he was Abraham. It was Abram. He got a new name. But we're not going to go to worry about that part right now. Just look at verse 13. Everybody there, Genesis 15, verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and shall afflict them for four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. So the Bible says, through the prophet Abraham, he's prophesying here, that his descendants will go into bondage, into bondage, where they go into bondage to, do you remember? Egypt, for 400 years, and after the 400 years, after that time, the Bible says, they will be delivered. Now, we looked at a short part of a, of a, of a biblical pattern there. We saw Enoch, in the, given a timeline prophecy with Methuselah. At the end of the timeline prophecy, God raised up another prophet to announce it was coming to an end. Now we're looking at another timeline prophecy. He says, hey, they're going to go into bondage for how long? 400 years. At the end of the 400 years, what should we be looking for? Maybe another prophet that God would raise up to announce the 400 years is coming to an end. Right? Possibly. Everybody with me? Okay. Let us find out if that's what took place. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Genesis, Exodus. You know what happened to the children of Israel, Abraham's descendants. What happened to them? They went down into Egypt. They went into bondage in Egypt, right? And as they are there, things are getting bad. And what does God do at the end of, at, after, the, after the 400 years? What is it God, that God does? He raises up another man, another prophet by the name of Moses. And look what God calls Moses to do. He calls him to deliver his people out of Egypt. So what, what we're looking at here, again, is a biblical pattern. God gives a timeline prophecy. At the end of the timeline prophecy, God doesn't leave us hanging in the balances wondering, well, I wonder, wonder what's going to happen. He raises up another prophet to point people back to the first prophecy. Do you follow that? He points them back, and that way we're not left in the dark. And look what it says in verse, we'll just start in verse uh, 3, or I'm sorry, 7. Let's start in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a land at large, into a land of flowing with milk and honey, unto, a, an, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So what happens at the end of the 400 years? After the 400 years, God sends Moses to deliver them. Now, I don't have it on the slides, but there's another text we can turn to to kind of give you a little more showing that this is exactly what took place. And I believe it's Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Yeah, in verse 40. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40. 
Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord came out of the land of Egypt. So what did God do at the end of the 400 years, after the 400 years? He sends Moses back down to Egypt to deliver his people. He doesn't leave the timeline prophecy hanging in the balance. Does anybody notice anything that's maybe a little conspicuous about what we've looked at right now in this, in this part? How long did God say they would be in Egypt? How long were they in Egypt? 430 years. Is there 430? Does anybody find any inconsistency there? Let me tell you something. Is Abraham a false prophet? I mean, if Abraham says prophetically in the Bible that they're going to be 400 years in Egypt, then they're going to be delivered, but yet they're not there 400 years, they're there 430 years, does that make Abraham a false prophet? Are you comfortable with that? Neither am I. Is there an answer to that? There sure is, and I don't have time to give it to you. Let me give it to you anyway. There's a very interesting thing. If I take too long, I take too long. You'll have to buy the DVD if we get cut short. All right? Go with me real quickly to the book of Acts, just for a minute. Acts chapter 7. This is not in your study. It's just a little extra. You know, I, I kind of um, struggle with this for some time. Are all of God's prophecies that he gives, are they matter of fact, or are there conditions sometimes to his prophecies? He has some things conditional, doesn't he? Do you remember what happened with Moses um, before he had to go away into the desert? He came down and he visited his brother and he killed the Egyptian. Remember what happened there? Look what, Pete, look what um, Stephen says in his last great sermon, the greatest sermon probably ever preached by any of the New Testament disciples. You know why, you know, you know why that's the case? When they kill you at the end of the sermon, you know it was a good one. And so they killed him at the end of it. It must have been a very good sermon. Let us look at Acts chapter 7 just for a minute. Now this is like, if you wanted to cut the audio on this one right here in the video and then pick it back up in a second, you could do that because it's totally outside the study. It's particularly for Seventh-day Adventists. When I'm doing this study with, uh, in a, an evangelistic meeting or something, I just simply say, the Bible said that it would be after 400 years they would be delivered. 430 years is after 400 they were delivered. That's the short answer. If you want to get a short answer, that's it. But I think there's something even more detailed that I find very interesting. Look what happens here. Verse 6, Acts 7, 6. God spake on this wise, that his seed would sojourn in the strange land, that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. That's what it says, right? Now, then Stephen begins to go through the history of Israel. And if you get over to verse 17, something very interesting takes place. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God swore to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Okay, the time of what promise? The 400 years. When it was getting close to the end, the people grew in, grew in Egypt. They multiplied. Till another king arose that did not know Joseph. The same dwelt subtly with the, with the kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast their young into the end they might not live. In which time? Moses was born. Okay, in which time? What, what's that referring to? The 400-time prophecy. When, it, when that time was getting close and it's getting ready to be delivered, Moses was born. And then it says... When he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him in her own, as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. What do you suppose put it in his heart? When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Who do you suppose put that there? God did. So he goes and he visits his people. And it says, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed, and he smote the Egyptian. For Moses supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they did not understand. What happened? God sent the prophet 
They rejected the prophet. I want to clap my hands, but it would hurt. They rejected the prophet. And because of their rejection of the prophet, guess how much time they had to spend extra in Egypt? Possibly. The reason they had to spend extra time was because they rejected the prophet when God was raising him up. Make a little sense? So you've got to be careful about rejecting the prophet. Rejecting prophets could cause you extra time in Babylon. And so I, I like to notice this here, especially for Seventh-day Adventists that like to reject the prophet, that we may have to spend a little extra time in Babylon because we won't listen to what the prophets have to say. Now, if Google was around in the days of Moses, what do you suppose it would have been saying on the internet about Moses? Hey, what do you suppose it would have been saying about Abraham? Would it, could have possibly been out there a lot of things on the internet about him being a false prophet? He prophesied we'd be here only 400 years. It's been 425 years and we're still here. He must be a false prophet. Possibly? Would they have rejected him? You know, I love it when Jesus says, you know, you, you guys, you build sepulchers and decorate the tombs of the prophets and you're just witnesses that you, you killed them. Your fathers killed them. And we say, oh, man, if I'd been living back in the day of Jeremiah, I would have listened to him. But God gives you a prophet in the last days and we say, well, how can we be sure? So just think about this as we're going through this study. Seventh-day Adventist. God has given us a biblical pattern here. We're looking at it right now. Check this out. We had Enoch gives a timeline prophecy, then Noah comes along at the end. Abraham, or Abram at the time, gives a timeline prophecy. At the end of the timeline prophecy, God raises up another prophet again to announce the time prophecy coming to an end. Hey, God's getting ready to deliver you. Get ready. Is God going to be consistent? You better believe it. Look what he does in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is like my most favorite of all the prophets in the Old Testament. You want to know why? Because you can read Jeremiah from all cover to cover, the book of Jeremiah, you can read the whole thing, and you can't find even one time where even one person listened to one thing that Jeremiah had to say. And I know how he feels. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. They, they totally rejected him. Look, look at, look at the, some of their rejection here. This, this is a, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4 through 10 is just an encapsulation of the whole book of Jeremiah. You can, basically, you can basically sum it up in these verses right here, the whole book of Jeremiah. This is, this is his life. This is his, everything that took place in his life right here. Verse 20, chapter 29, verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives. Now at this point, they were not yet carried away captives. They were going to be. So the, the context is here, you're going to be carried away captive. Who I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, dwell on them. Plant gardens, eat the fruit of them. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take the wives for your sons and give, give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you may increase there and not diminish. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof you shall have peace. Look at verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. How would they deceive? Look at what it says. Neither listen to the dreams which you have caused to be dreamed. So in other words, there were prophets all around the days of Jeremiah saying that Jeremiah was a, was a nut. He didn't know what he's talking about. Jeremiah was saying, we're going to go away captive into Babylon. And all the other church leaders, all the other preachers, all the other so-called prophets are saying, Jeremiah is a nut. And Jeremiah, through the Word of God, says, don't listen to them. The dreams that they say they're having, you cause to be dreamed. Verse 9, for they prophesy falsely unto, unto you in my name. Had, had the same dealings like we have today, right? False prophets. For I have not sent them, says the Lord. 
Okay, now here's what the Lord says. For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you, I will perform my good word toward you, and I'll cause you to return to this place. So, what's the prophecy here? You're going away to Babylon. I know all the religious leaders, I know all the preachers and all the pastors and everybody's saying, no, we're not going away to Babylon. We're God's chosen people. He's going to take care of us. God's not going to let us go through any tribulation. We're going to be safe right here in Jerusalem. Jeremiah says, I know that that's what they're saying, but the Word of God says otherwise. You're going to Babylon for 70 years. Get ready. Now, who was right? Well, Jeremiah was right. And there was an, there was an old man living in Babylon about 70 years later that was about 15 years old when Jeremiah was prophesying. You know what his name was? Daniel. Daniel was there. He would have been about 15 years old. He'd have been just a kid in Babylon whenever Jeremiah was prophesying. And, and you can picture maybe, maybe Daniel hearing, hearing Jeremiah prophesying and hearing him preaching and saying, we're going away to Babylon. But all the people he greatly respected, the majority of people in the church, everybody was saying, no, 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 no. Jeremiah's nuts. Don't listen to him. You know, he's been too much time in the sun. He's, he's one of those conspiracy theorists. He's, he's worried. He, just, he has all these problems. Listen to the religious leaders, the ones that are dressing nice, looking nice, smelling nice, and all this stuff. They're the ones that's got it right. That's what's going on. But they went away to Babylon, just like they said. And so about 70 years later, Daniel, he's, he's studying his Bible. And if you go with me to our next text, the next one is Daniel 9, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2. Come on, change for me. Daniel 9, 2 is the next one. You'll write 6SP there. That's where you'll be, 6SP, the sixth text in the study. We just came from Jeremiah 29. We're going to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel, the ninth chapter. I love what Daniel says here. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, you never read anything bad about Daniel? in the Bible, like he's, he's one of the few people in the Bible you don't read anything negative about? Actually, you do. He admits it himself. Okay, let us look at this right here. Daniel 9, we'll start in verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. He's studying the Bible. He's studying the book of Jeremiah particularly. The number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So what is it Daniel's doing here? What's God doing with the prophet Daniel? God had made a timeline prophecy with Jeremiah. He said 70 years, they're going to be captive in Babylon. At the end of the 70 years, God just leaves it up to them to figure it out on their own, right? No, he impresses upon another prophet by the name of Daniel to start getting the people ready because they're getting ready to be delivered. Again, God is going to use that biblical pattern. Now, I told you you don't find anything negative about Daniel. Uh, the people say that, but actually you do. Look at what it says in verse 6. Daniel's confessing their sins. Actually, start in verse 5. He says, we have sinned, we've committed iniquity, we've done wickedly, and have rebelled, even in departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we listened unto the servants, the prophets. Your servants, the prophets. So what's Daniel saying? He's putting himself in and said, we, did, we wouldn't listen to your prophets. I can picture Daniel as a young boy saying, you know what? Everybody else says Jeremiah's wrong. He must be wrong. But when Jeremiah's words came to pass, Daniel at least humbled himself in the sight of the Lord enough to admit, hey, we were wrong. Jeremiah was right. God was using him. I'm sorry, Lord. Confessing their sins. Maybe someone here, by the end of this study, will have had to confess their sin for rejecting the prophet as well. So now, think about it. What do you think Google would have had to say about uh, Jeremiah in the time of Jeremiah? Do you think there have been nice things out there, out there on, about the internet, in the, on the internet about him? You think the internet would have had all kinds of nice things to say about Jeremiah? Oh, he's such a good man, such a good prophet, I'm glad our leaders are following him. No, they would be saying things like, the majority is rejecting him, he's with this small fringe cult group, he has to be wrong, don't listen to him, he's a false prophet. That's what they would have been saying. 
We know that's what they were saying in that day because even later on and during Jesus' ministry, he refers back and says, which of the prophets have you not stoned and killed? <laughs> You've killed them all. I send them to you, you kill them. I send them to you, you stone them. Jeremiah would have been included. They was not listening to the prophets. They was rejecting them. And then Daniel comes along and he gives this time prophecy himself. He gives another one. Let us look at this. Here, here they are again. Daniel 9, 2. Let me get past that. All right. Enoch, time prophecy Noah. Abram, time prophecy Moses. Jeremiah gives a time prophecy. At the end of that time prophecy, God raises up Daniel. Do you see the biblical pattern going here? Do you think God's going to be consistent all the way through the Bible? He for sure is. Daniel gives a timeline prophecy now. Look at the timeline prophecy Daniel gives. Daniel 9, 25. Daniel 9 and verse 25. Look what it says. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again, the walls, even in troublous times. So in 69 weeks, the Messiah is going to come. That's what he says. From the time that to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, 69 weeks, or 483 years, and that decree goes out in 457 B.C. Now remember, by this time, you've already made this study with people, okay? The spirit of prophecy is so far down in the studies, you've already covered this with them. That's why, if you don't know this right now, I'm sorry. You'll have to, you'll have to get the DVD series and watch the, the rest of these. But... Um, We've already went through this study by this point with the people that the, the timing of Christ's coming, the 2300-day prophecy, all that stuff has been accomplished and studied at this point. They already know about the judgment hour message beginning in 1844. You've already studied this with them when you're doing the spirit of prophecy study. Is that clear? Okay, I just want to make sure you understand that because you think, well, we haven't done that here. Well, we don't have time. Unfortunately, we just have two days. We usually spend two weeks doing these studies. So, and, and that's all day long for two weeks at, at the LIFE program. Okay, so... What we're finding out here is it says in 69 weeks or 483 years from the, from the time to, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince. That's how long it's going to be. Is that how long it was? Yeah. Jesus came right on time. But before he came, what did God do? What would he do? He would raise up a prophet. Do you remember what the prophet's name was? Anybody? John the Baptist. That's exactly right. Look at Mark chapter 1. Isn't it interesting the consistency that God has? Mark chapter 1. Matthew. And then go to the book of Mark chapter 1. The timeline prophecy comes to an end, and God does not leave his people just to wonder about what's going to take place. He raises up another prophet to let them know that it's coming to an end. That's a good God to be serving. That is. I like it. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness, and he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now skip across to verse 15, look what it says. And saying, this is Jesus, after his baptism, after John preached about Jesus coming, look what the Bible says. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Isn't it interesting? Just before the time was fulfilled, John the Baptist comes preaching, and then after the time is fulfilled, the Bible says that Jesus comes saying, the time is fulfilled. What time? 69 weeks. Three score in two weeks, determined uh, until the Messiah, the Prince. That text we just read in Daniel 9, 25, that text, it was fulfilled, and John the Baptist came preaching at the end of that timeline prophecy. Jesus comes along and says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Look at this pattern. Look at the pattern that God does. Enoch to Noah, Abraham to Moses, Jeremiah to Daniel, then Daniel to John. Do you see the pattern? It doesn't end there. You think God is going to like drop out now and say, okay, there's no more prophecies? Or is there another prophecy that we've, we've discovered before? Do you remember what that prophecy was? Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14. Oh, 
cut it out here. What's it doing? Did I go too far? Back up there. Yeah, Daniel 8, 14. What does your Bible say in Daniel chapter 8, and verse 14? Come on, you know that one already. Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, you've already studied this at this point with these people. Now, when was that timeline fulfilled? 1844. 1844. Now, if you were the devil, would you recognize this biblical pattern, you suppose? Do you think that all of us collectively know the Bible better than the devil? No, definitely don't. The devil knows the Bible better than all of us. So do you suppose maybe the devil recognizes this biblical pattern here as well, just the same as what we have? If you were the devil, what would you be doing around 1844? When you muddy the water? You know, I want to recommend a book to you guys if you haven't ever seen it before. It's written by, um, I'll think of his name in a minute. It's called 1844, The Day That Changed the World. Cl no, it's not Clifford Goldstein. It's um, Ron Dupre. 1844, The Day That Changed the World. Yeah, Ron Dupre. He's the one that wrote it. It's, it's interesting. He takes, a, he takes the book and, and it goes through all the things that were going on around 1844. It's amazing. It's amazing the things that rose up around that time. We'll cover some of them in just a minute. But just, just to, I want you to notice here, Daniel 8.14, the timeline prophecy ends in 1844. If God is going to be consistent, what would we expect around that time? The raising up of a prophet. Now here's what I like to do. Before I'm going to get ahead of myself, I can realize that right now. Are we going to be looking for... Um, possibly a prophet coming, or do we know for sure one's going to come? It just depends on who it is. And that prophet that comes, what are they going to have to be writing about? What's going to be the, one of the main things about their ministry? They're going to, yeah, they're going to have to write about the 1844 investigative judgment. That's going to have to be the main thing. I'm going to give you a whole list of prophets. I think I have them on here that came up around that time. But let me tell you something very interesting. None of them even wrote anything about Daniel 8:14 except one. A bunch of them come up around that time, but none of them wrote anything about Daniel 8.14 except one of them. Let me see if I... I don't know if I have it on my slides or not. I might just have to quote it to you. There they are. Here's the biblical pattern. We're going through it, going through it. And we get down here to Daniel. And at the end of Daniel's 2300-day time prophecy, we're looking for what? Another prophet. Only makes sense, doesn't it? You reckon we're going to find one? Well, let's see. Let me show you some prophetic movements in 1844 in and around that time frame. doesn't have to be exactly just in and around that time frame. First one... Darwin's Origin of the Species was first published in 1844. Isn't that interesting? I mean, the devil, the devil knowing that God's going to be doing something great, he has the first draft published and sent out in 1844 of the Origin of the Species to get people away from the understanding of, of, uh, of God. Now you say, that's not a religion. Oh yeah, it takes more faith to believe that than does creation. Okay. Sayyid Ali Muhammad, a Baha'i faith. Now, this is very interesting. He had his first vision, May 23rd, 1844. Today, the Baha'i faith, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the, it's the uh, if I dare say, it's the Islam's Ellen White, okay? It's the prophet that, 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 that was raised up in, the, in, a, in, a, in Islam in, in, for Muslims in that time frame. Had his first vision at that time. Over several hundred, um, I mean, a couple million followers even to today still following that faith. They, it was raised up in that time. Joseph Smith. The Mormons, he was shot to death in a shootout there, um, martyred, quote, in 1844. In the same year, he was martyred, and that's when he became like, you know, everybody said, oh, he's this great prophet that's been martyred now, and let's all follow him. And the Mormons are a very fast-growing denomination, even to this day. Same time frame. Never in the history of the world were there more so-called prophets and these kind of things happening than in 1844. Okay, I just want to just keep that in mind as we go through these. Andrew Jackson Davis, he was 1826 to 1910 was his lifespan. So he was falling in that time frame, the American Spiritualist Movement. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy, Christian scientist. By the way, I believe this is the devil's exact counterfeit for Ellen White. 
the Christian Scientist movement. She wrote a lot about health and education and things like that as well. A lot of things like that. 1821 to 1910. And then you have another one here, Ellen White. Now this is the short list of things. I don't put the whole thing up for a Bible study. There is literally, we could probably put about 15 to 20 very easily up there about just movements, prophetic movements and things like that. Um, you had the, like the Watchtower Society and other things like that happening all around this time frame. That would be the, the, uh, the Jehovah Witnesses and others all rising up about the same time frame. But out of all these that you find, not one of them wrote anything about 1844 or anything about uh, the investigated judgment in Daniel 8.14. It's almost like God said, okay, devil, you can, you can put your prophets out there. You can do whatever you want, but you're not, I'm not going to let them write about this because my people's not going to be deceived. See, there's no reason to be. You can just say, okay, they're going to definitely, if it's going to be a prophet, what are they going to be writing about biblically? Daniel 8.14, the end of that timeline prophecy. They'd have to be writing about that. If they don't, you can write them off. You can scratch them off. There's all kinds of things to show us the uh, ideas of a prophet. Um, the Bible gives us all kinds of ways of de defining a prophet, who they are. Ellen White's the only one that fits. Let us go through these real quick. I'm running out of time. I hate clocks. I'm looking forward to heaven. Okay, Great Controversy, page 417. If they're going to be writing, they're going to have to be writing about Daniel 8.14. Look what she writes here. The question, what is the sanctuary, is clearly answered in the scriptures. The term sanctuary, as used in the Bible, refers first to the tabernacle built by Moses and a pattern of heavenly things, and secondly, to the true tabernacle in heaven to which the earthly sanctuary pointed. At the death of Christ, the typical service ended. The true tabernacle in heaven is the sanctuary of the new covenant, and as the prophecy of Daniel 8.14 is fulfilled in this dispensation, the sanctuary to which it refers must be the sanctuary of the new covenant. At the termination of the 2300 days in 1844, there had been no sanctuary on earth for many centuries. Thus the prophecy under 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed, must unquestionably be pointing to the one in heaven, the sanctuary in heaven. You follow that? You can't find any writings of any other so-called prophets in that time talking about that. Now let me ask you, is God going to have a prophet? If he's going to keep his biblical pattern, is he going to have a prophet at the end? So we're not looking for a if, but a who. Now, I'm willing to accept that Ellen White's not a prophet. But who do you put in that place? You see there, who are you going to put in there? There is nobody else. Nobody else even remotely fits it. So there has to be somebody put there. She's the only one that has, has the um, writing about the fulfillment of that prophecy. And by the way, if you just look at some of the details of her life, you know it has to be God-inspired. Third grade education, writes 100,000 pages, the most translated uh, woman author of all times in the whole world, the, the most translated uh, author, period, in the, from the United States, all these different ideas from a third grader. That has to be something divine. And I, when I do the studies, I don't have time to do this here. I'll give you a little bit of it. I just go through a ton of things that, that it's just amazing to her. Like she said that smoking was causative factor for cancer and these kind of things, and it was very serious. It was at a time that doctors were prescribing cigarette smoking for people with asthma. So she was going against the culture of the day. She wasn't just following you know, what the science was saying. She was going against science, and they were laughing at her. If Google was around in our day, what would we be expecting them to be doing to Ellen White? I <laughs> listen. You want to do something very interesting experiment? Go on Google and type Joseph Smith. You'll go through three pages of hits and you won't find anything negative. Type in Mary Baker Eddy. You'll go through three pages of hits. You won't find anything negative. Type in Ellen White. You'll go through three pages of hits. You'll find eight positive. The rest of everything else on eight pages, if you do a Google search on Ellen White, is all negative. Anti, slamming her. She's demonic. She's possessed. Yeah, have you seen this pose? Like if you go to those anti-Ellen White websites, they got this like her posed like this, and they have this evil look on her face. You know, like she's this real mean heretic. Why do you suppose that's out there? 
It's for the same reason, brothers and sisters, that you would have found it in the days of Jeremiah, Moses, Noah, Daniel, John the Baptist. Same reason. That's what you should expect. So on the contrary, all those negative things saying they're, they're really bad, on the contrary, it's really good because that's what you should expect to be happening. That's what was going on to the other prophets in the Bible. Okay, I got to go through this real quick. Matthew 24, 4, 11, and 24. We've done, this, we've done that a while ago. False Christ and false prophets. If there's, if there's false prophets that be coming up in the last days, then there shall also be what? True. Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Be, beware of all prophets. He doesn't say that, right? He says false prophets. But that's because in the last days there will also be true prophets. So it's not safe just to reject prophets as they are. Just to say, oh, if there's a prophet, I'm rejecting it. The Bible tells us that we need to, we need to test the prophets, prove the prophets. Isaiah eight twenty. do you know what it says there? I'm sorry, I'm going to change the slides. Uh, I see you people cringing. Yeah, 820, what's it say? To the law, to the testimony. You got it, sister. If they speak not according to this word, there's no light in them. So if you, to, in order for it to be a real prophet, they'd have to be writing about Daniel 814. They would also have to be um, to the law and to the testimony. They cannot contradict the Bible. At the end of the study, at the end of the day, we're not asking people to accept Ellen White as a prophet. We're asking them to at least check it out. Is she with the Bible or not? Let me go on. I'm sorry. The clock. It's our enemy. Okay, the prophet. Look what she says. Cling to your Bible as it reads and stop your criticism in regard to its validity and obey the word and not one of you be lost. Does that sound like a work of a prophet? Quit criticizing the Bible and just simply believe it. Oh, we can't really believe the creation story. There are scholars in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that say things like that. Brothers and sisters, what they're doing is exactly opposite of what the prophet said. Cling to your Bible, believe it, and you won't be lost. Have I lost anything in believing creation from the Bible? Will I lose anything if I don't believe it? You better believe it. I'll lose my salvation. Let us go on. Jeremiah 28, verse 9. Jeremiah 28, 9. It's, it's, it's the, if the prophet comes to pass, then you can know that God has sent them. Let me see there. Isaiah. They're going to cut me off any second. Do I have 15 minutes? Oh, I thought I only had until 430. Whew. Oh, praise the Lord. I was looking at my clock, and I was like, how can that be so fast? Okay. Thank you, sister. We'll make it. I'll slow back down. Do you mean back up? Okay, I'll back up for you. Right there? All right, go ahead and copy that down. I'm sorry, I thought I was ending, and I was going to try to get through this. You guys are a good bunch. You're forgiving. Sanctified, aren't you? <laughs> okay. You got that copy? Everybody done? I'll, I'll wait on you another second. I can talk. All right, we'll go on to the next one. Isaiah 8.20, 11SB, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, there's no light in them. So they have to speak according to what the scripture says, to the law and to the testimony. If they, if they contradict that, God hasn't sent them. Now, the reason I love this one so much particularly is because of the statement Ellen White makes next that we're going to be looking at again. I just love this. Have you heard of the term higher criticism? Anybody heard of that term? It, it's simply like this. It's simply like saying, like, um, the people that wrote the Bible, they weren't really educated, many of them, and, and they was writing basically their science and their logic and things was, was for the times they were living in thousands of years ago, and it really doesn't apply to us today as much. We can get general, general ideas from it, you know, like moral stories, but you don't have to believe everything in detail. That's, they're criticizing the Bible, saying it's not all necessarily true, but we can still believe the moral lessons taught in it. Have you heard that kind of talk before from your pastor? I hope not. Okay? That's kind of the idea behind higher criticism. Even in Ellen White's day, she was saying, you know what? You guys are messing up by doing that. Messing up bad. Look what she says. Let me read it to you again. We've done it a while ago, but I'm going to put it back up there. Cling to your Bible as it reads and stop your higher criticism. 
in regard to the validity and obey the word and not one of you will be lost. Isn't that a simple thing to be doing? I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, but the problem is with many of us, educa many educated people, I don't want to say us educated people because that wouldn't include me, but many of us people, period, the problem is that we, we want to look at the Bible and say, you know what, some of these things really don't fit my lifestyle, my ideas, so I'm going to reject it for whatever reason. You know, I can go to the Bible and show you from the Bible that we shouldn't be spending time watching bad things on television. Have you read Romans chapter 1? At the end of Romans chapter 1, after it gives a whole litany of all kinds of things that are negative, people murdering and, 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 and being whoredom and that kind of thing, all these terrible things, it, the last verse says, not only people that do those things, but people that take pleasure in them that do it. In other words, when you sit down and watch a TV program that has illicit sexual things going on and, and you know, like affairs and murders and things like that, you say, well, I watch it, but I would never do anything like that. The Bible says those people that take pleasure in, in those things also are guilty of the same. Romans chapter 1, last verse, read it. So if, if you take pleasure in, I don't take pleasure in it, then why do you watch it? So it's interesting, you know, the reason oftentimes we reject the Bible is because it goes against what we want to already believe. The prophet says, isn't this a good thing for a prophet in the last days to be saying, hey, just accept the Bible for what it says and you'll be saved. Now, everybody needs to be saved. Even the so-called postmodern mind, we need to be saved. So it's a very good, good point for the third grade educated prophet to be saying, isn't it? Let us look on now. Jeremiah 28, verse 9. Let us go there. Jeremiah, go to the book of Daniel, back up two books. 28 and verse 9, it says, The prophet which prophesies of peace, when the words of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord has truly sent him. You understand that? So if a prophet prophesies something, when it comes to pass, then you'll know that the Lord has sent them. Is that the only way you can identify a prophet? No. Could, could I give a prophecy and maybe it come to pass? Does that, mean that, does that mean that I'm a prophet? No, I'm not the prophet nor a son of a prophet. No, that's just one of the identifying characteristics. They have to fit all of them. And so here we go. Jeremiah 28, 9 says they have, to, they have to prophesy and it has to come to pass. Does that happen for Ellen White? Yes, it does. Let me give you one of the examples right here. In 1902, Ellen White warned that San Francisco and Oakland would be visited by the Lord because they were becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. Manuscripts, 1902. So she said, hey, they're becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. Soon God will visit them. And she, gets, starts, she starts prophesying different things, giving descriptions of things she sees going to be happening. Then, four years later, in 1906, a terrifying rumble of an earthquake shattered the early morning silence of April 18th at 5.15 a.m. The quake lasted only a minute. It caused the, world, the, the worst natural disaster in the nation's history. Modern analysts estimates it registered an 8.25 on the Richter scale. By comparison, the quake of San Francisco on October 17th was a 6.7. Now, I read a book, Some History of Ellen White, and it's interesting, it said that after this earthquake and all the damage and the fire that raged for days and hundreds of thousands of, of, of uh, dollars and costs and hundreds of lives and, and or thousands of lives, whatever it was, all the de details of it, said that she was actually writing a few days later. She took a, uh, went there and got in a carriage and rode through the city and she was saying things like, this is what I saw. This is what I've been warning about. I saw this. I saw this. She saw everything that was going to be ta taking place, everything that was going to be happening. Now, it's interesting to me. What do you think the media would do if Nostradamus would have said the same thing. You, you wouldn't be able to get uh, a month go by that you wouldn't be on the Discovery Channel, History Channel, or something where they'd be talking about it, right? Have you read the Testimonies, Volume 9, starting on page 11, the title of the chapter called The Last Crisis? Has anybody ever read that before? You, is, it, is this going to be new to anybody? Testimonies, Volume 9, page 11, The Last Crisis, 9-11. 
Ellen White says, I was in New York City and I saw a building rising up story after story toward heaven. The next thing I heard was an alarm of fire. And the, and the people said, hey, the buildings are perfectly safe. They're fireproof. Don't worry about anything. The next thing I saw, the buildings were consumed as if they were made of pitch. Testimonies, volume 9, page 11, 911. She sees almost an exact description of what happened in New York City. It wasn't an exact description of what happened in New York City on 9-11. If Nostradamus or anybody so-called Gene Dixon or one of these modern prophets would have said the same thing, what do you think they would be doing today? What do you think the Internet, what do you think the, the History Channel, all those would be saying? You want to know why you don't hear about that because of Ellen White? You want to know why you don't hear about it from her? Because a true prophet of God also calls us to carpet on our sins. And no one likes to hear that part. We like to be justified in what we're doing, don't we? It's the only thing I can figure. Have you, has anybody not read that? Is that new to anybody, what I just talked about? New to you? Sister, you've got to get Testimonies, Volume 9. Start on page 11, The Last Crisis, and read it. Nine, 11 through page 13. And it's very interesting. If you read the rest of it in detail, after she talks about 9-11, she talks about economic problems and a collapse. Then she talks about a great time of trouble. Then she talks about the millennium. Very interesting. <laughs> in, in light of where we're at. So, I just keep in mind... She fits the description, talking about Daniel 8.14. The prophecy, she says, comes to pass. She points back to, um, to, to, to the Bible and believe only what the Bible has to say and not one will be lost. These are all the work of a prophet in spite of what the anti-Ellen White websites are saying out there. I appreciate the anti-Ellen White websites. It drives me to find out whether or not they're true or not. And I have spent a lot of time researching those and found out that all their so-called arguments are a bunch of heresy. Not even true. They take things out of context. They completely lie about things. It's all rehashed stuff from a fellow by the name of D.M. Canwright all the way back in the days Ellen White was living. It's a long story. You have to come to life and hear the Spirit of Prophecy class. You'll get all those details. Another plug for that. Okay, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. What else do we do use to identify a prophet? Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And we're going to go to chapter 13. One through three. If there arise a prophet among you, or a dreamer of dreams, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, whereof he spake unto you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not listen to the words of that prophet, or the, that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So if a prophet comes along and they prophesy and it's all true, but yet they say it's okay for you to go against the word of God or go follow other gods, it's, the Bible says, no, 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 that's not sent by me. They're prophesying. They may get it right, but I didn't send them. I'm allowing them to come to see if, you're going to follow, if you love me more than you love your signs and wonders. That's what he says there. I'm proving you to see if you love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. So is it just because a prophecy comes to pass, is that making them a prophet? No, they also had to point you back to the word of God. They have, to be, they have to be right all the time. And uh, what was the other one that we had? Oh, that was it, wasn't it? Okay. If you don't know, I don't know. John 4, 1 John 4, 1 and 2. Now, this is one that a lot of people get hung up on. Go with me to the New Testament, to the little book of John's, to the first John. If you go to the book of Revelation, back up four books, I believe you should be there. 1 John 4, 1 and 2. Look what it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hereby you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, come in the flesh is of God. I've had people say that, and they say, 
especially in the Pentecostal movement, a lot of times I've had people come to me actually when I'm dealing with them and say, no, 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 they have to be a prophet of God because they claim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. That's what the Bible says. Remember, brothers and sisters, as you read this and you do this study, this Bible study with somebody, that's only one of the characteristics. Can they claim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, but yet claim that we don't need to keep the commandments of God and still be a prophet of God? No, because Isaiah 8.20 hasn't been fulfilled. That's one of the characteristics. So he's, he's, he's addressing a particular situation in his day that there were people that were claiming to be prophets, but they were saying, hey, Jesus Christ didn't really come in the flesh. It was some kind of spiritual Jesus or some kind of something. It was something different than what it actually was. And he says, don't listen to them. They're, they're false prophets. They can't be true. So these are some of the identifying characteristics. Here's another one. Numbers 12, 6. We're almost done here. Numbers chapter 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 12 and verse 6. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I'll speak to him in a dream. So the prophets that come along, they'll have visions and dreams. I want to challenge you to get some material on Ellen White. Read some of the first-hand accounts. I was reading one myself about this doctor that was mocking her. Uh, you know, he was, a, he was a hypnotist too, and he said, I could hypnotize her. There's nothing more than hypnotism that, his, that her husband's doing. If, if she had one of those visions in front of me, I could get her out of it just like this because she's just being hypnotized. And so at this, at this meeting hall, she has this vision. She goes into vision, the guy's there. And they say, go on, doctor, go up and investigate. And so the doctor goes up and starts investigating her, and after just a few minutes up there with her, he turns white as a sheep, and he starts going out the back door, and some guy stands in front of the back door and won't let him out. And he says, what, what are you doing? You said you could do something. He says, I don't know what it is, but I don't know. I, 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 I can't figure it out, basically, is what he said. And he was scared to death. He said, get out of my way. I'm getting out of here. She was in vision. He couldn't do anything to get her out of vision. At times, had supernatural strength. She was having visions and dreams and was relaying them, and it were things that there's no way she could have known. And so we know from those things as well that she fits the description of a prophet. So, you know, most of the problem with our church people that reject the spirit of prophecy is the fact they've never actually looked into what she had to say, but they go to the anti-spirit of Ellen White websites and find out what they have to say. Or they listen to what the people that are negative against her have to say. If you investigate it yourself, you can't come away with any other conclusion, but God used her as a prophet. I'll tell you something interesting. When I do the Spirit of Prophecy sermon, most of the time, the only people that give me a hard time are Adventists. The non-Adventists say, wow, you know, that makes perfect sense. It all fits. So you guys are my worst critics when it comes to this. Not you guys, you guys, but you guys, us guys, the church people. All right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Here's the challenge I want to make to you right now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 20 and 21. The appeal that I make at this time in a Bible study is not to find out and say, oh, you've got to accept Ellen White as a prophet. We're going to give them the challenge from the Bible. Listen to the challenge. Do not despise prophesyings. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. So what is the challenge that God gives us in his word? If, it, if a prophet comes along rejected, is that what it says? It says, don't despise prophesyings. If someone claims to be a prophet, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And I challenge the people. When you want to research what Ellen White had to say, go to what, find out what Ellen White had to say. Don't go to the critics of Ellen White to find out what she has to say. That's like going to a Ford dealership to buy a Chevy truck. 
What do you think they're going to tell you about that Chevy? It's a piece of junk. You got it. <laughs> you think that way anyway, right? They're going to tell you it's a piece of junk. If you go to the Chevy dealership to buy a Ford, what are they going to tell you about the Ford? It's a piece of junk. If you want to find out what they have to say about their vehicle, what it's about, you go to that place, right? I challenge you to go and find out what she has to say. I'm, again, I'm willing to accept, if you want to say that, that she wasn't the prophet, but who are you going to put in that spot? In 1844, is God going to be consistent? Who are you going to put in that spot? She's the only one that fits. Out of time. If you want to study the, overall, the outline of this study and everything, you're welcome. To, to, you can get it off the internet. Um, I have one copy up here. Somebody can grab it, make some copies of it, I guess. I don't know. But uh, is, that, is that study good? Did you like that? Did that make sense? Praise the Lord. Let us have prayer. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for giving us a prophet in these last days. Father, you knew it would be a madhouse out in this world in the last days with all the crazy things that are going on in the religious world. And I thank you for sending us something, sending us somebody that we can read and study to help us point us back to your word and the truth from your word and guide us in, in this mad maze in these last days. Help us to be faithful to what your word is calling us to do, Lord, and to prove the prophets and accept them and not be like our forefathers who rejected them. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.